Good morning. It is great to be here with you this morning. We are currently going through the book of Romans. We just barely began a couple weeks ago. And today as we talk about the book of Romans, as we continue with what Paul has to say to a church that is divided and a church that is torn apart by basic questions about Jesus. As we look at this, I want us to start today not in Rome or where Paul was traveling, but in a small little town in England. A little town called Olney. Anyone ever heard of Olney? One, maybe two of you? Olney right now is a quaint little English town. A little more than 6,500 people. It's nothing super spectacular most of the time. There's some independently owned shops and businesses that have been around longer than this country. Uh, Some really small little farms. Nothing super exciting about Olney. Except once a year, a church there, the Church of Saints Peter and Paul, they host a race. And they are world-renowned for the world-record fastest pancake run. You ever heard of the pancake race? As the story would have it, back in the 1400s, in fact, I think it was 1445, the day before Lent started, people would often celebrate what we now, with Mardi Gras, call Fat Tuesday. They would celebrate by making pancakes. You see, for the season of Lent, you would fast and give up things that were fatty and things that were sweet. Basically, anything tasty and good in life, you'd give up so that for a season you could remember just how broken and sinful we were. And when you had uh, very poor ways of keeping things fresh for a long time, you didn't want your eggs and all your stuff to go bad. And so that day before you were no longer to eat it, you would make pancakes because they were filled with rich, fatty, sweet, tasty goodness. And as the story has it, back in 1445, there was a lady who heard the church bells ringing saying that the fast was beginning and she hadn't finished making her pancakes. So she ran all the way to the church with her pancakes still flipping in the pan as she ran. And now, 600 years later almost, every single year they continue that tradition. And they race nearly 400 yards with pancakes in a pan Every year. Doesn't that sound like a fun little town to go to? I imagine that little party would be a great joy and also absolutely ridiculous. Like, do you put it on your resume that you hold the record for fastest pancake run? I don't know. I would, absolutely. I'd wear a shirt, make a billboard, I'd tell everybody. But this little pancake run, kind of the one time every year this little city stands out as remarkable. This little pancake run is about so much more. See, this, the city here has a history rooted in the gospel. Only is supposedly a Roman settlement, based on the best they can tell, started by the Roman government. At what point in time it started, we don't exactly know, but it is mentioned in records dating all the way back to 932 AD. A really old, tiny little town where not much has changed throughout history. But this tiny little town, separate from its pancake run, has thoroughly altered history as you and I know it. See, in this church of Saints Peter and Paul, 
probably founded about 1018 AD. Anybody around back then? Like imagine pastoring a church that has been around for a thousand years. What sermon will you ever write that they haven't heard before? What thing will you ever say or do that's new and meaningful and compelling to them? The current building that is still there is relatively new. It was built in about 1330 A.D. And compared to some of the other buildings there, that's the new one. They had to replace the roof in the 1800s because those things fall apart after 500 years. But this church building has a lovely tower standing about 185 feet above the town. When it was first built, that tower housed up to six church bells. So imagine when she was running a few hundred years, or maybe 50 years later after it was built, hearing all six of those bells with every one of them chiming, remembering she was late for a really, really important date that is the start of Lent. This town with this pastor, with this church, this history though, though it's small and relatively insignificant, I believe has changed your world drastically. And it goes back to 1773, January 1st, and a pastor and his sermon on that day. One that I am certain, whether you know it or not, you are well acquainted with. As this pastor, John, was preparing his sermon, he was reflecting on the life he had lived. Anybody like to look at the start of the year back on the life you've lived and maybe the things you would like to be different? Maybe the things you would like to keep doing going forward or maybe do anew in this new year? As John reflected on his life, the things he thought about would for many of us make us shudder. See, at age six, his mom had died while his dad was away uh, traveling as a sailor. At age 11, he got kicked out of boarding school because he was just too wild and they couldn't get him to sit still. And so at age 11, he began to join his father traveling around the world by boat in a day and age where boats were small and travel was dangerous. John ended up getting deathly sick and being stranded in Sierra Leone, Africa. Anybody ever been stranded in a foreign country? It's pretty terrifying. And in his case, he was taken under the care of somebody, uh, an African woman, who was highly abusive to him which created in him a sense of animosity for those who lived there. And John, he ended up going on to begin working in a really lucrative industry at the time, slave trade. And it was his job to go and find Africans who he could then sell as slaves. Eventually, he got freed from this land he was in by becoming the captain of a ship a ship that took the slaves he had previously been finding and transported them here to the U.S. And for nine years, John served as captain, trip after trip, boat after boat, full of slaves, people being humiliated, 
being treated like less than people. Imagine the stench of those boats when they would die or get sick underneath than those who have the job of going under deck to throw those who were sick overboard. Imagine the weight on his soul, the guilt he may have felt after nine years of not only participating in, but having been the captain leading the way. Now the thing is, at age 11, when he got kicked out of boarding school, John had decided he would grow up to become a pastor. Now, nearly 40 years old, he's not only not a pastor, he's selling slaves across the Atlantic. Imagine in his heart the sense of pain, anguish, sorrow, the life that he thought he would have, that he actually had, just how things had not gone as planned. In fact, he went on later to write all about the need to abolish slavery, and in it he wrote of just how despicable he felt for participating in such a horrible thing. How he was like, in other words, a turd, total dung and worthless for the things he had done. Maybe in your life, as you reflect on where you've been, there are things you're less than proud of. Maybe there are things you look at and say, I am not who I wanted to be. And I'm certainly not worth celebrating or emulating in any way. Thankfully, along one of those many journeys back and forth, with slaves. Thankfully, this man, John, encountered a pastor who was on board coming to the U.S., and he was discipled by this pastor who poured into him a whole bunch of the truth of God. And thankfully, at one of his stops in South Carolina, on March 21st, he had this encounter with God where he realized the things he had been doing were wrong, and he could no longer bring himself to continue doing them. So he traveled back to England and he left the industry altogether and he took a good paying job still not as a pastor, but a job that would support his growing family and his wife. And while there, he continued to be discipled by a local pastor who continued to prompt and to nudge and to encourage, maybe you, sh you still should consider becoming a pastor. Despite his past, despite his pain, despite his shame and his guilt, this pastor who saw so much more in him and said, God's not finished with you yet. And at nearly 40 years of age, finally, this John became a pastor. And the first church he was given to to serve was Church of Saints Peter and Paul in Olney, England. And there he began to love and to serve and to care for the people who lived there. At the time, in 1773, the town was only about 2,400 people and roughly 2,000 of them worked in the lace-making industry, some of whom worked as slaves. And there he was called to pastor in this church of 300-plus years with a past of all kinds of guilt and shame and sorrow and pain. It was said of him that he often loved wholly the people he served, every one of them. And that when he wrote his sermons, he had this attitude about him, that his sermons he aimed to break a hard heart and to heal a broken heart. 
And so as he prepared for his sermon that January 1st, as he reflected on his past, he penned these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, has saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. You ever heard those words before? Those words later went on to become a hymn, which later went on to become the most copied and written song in the history of the world. The Library of Congress believes that the song Amazing Grace has over 3,000 documented versions of that one singular song. A song I'm sure many of you have sung in a variety of versions. A really interesting fact about the song that he penned for that sermon that day is when that song came here to the U.S. at the hands of slave owners and Christians. And when they took their slaves to church with them, seeking in the name of Jesus to make their slaves Christian as well, many of them became Christian. And that very same song penned by a slave trader within the community of slaves became a source of hope. As they were bound in chains and suffering and experiencing all kinds of oppression here in this song, penned by a former oppressor, they found strength to keep going a little longer. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And there in this little church in Olney, England, this man who had once traded slaves and was now by his own admission a slave to Christ, he met a man named Wilbur whom he began to pour into. It's likely that he was here for this January 1st sermon. Have you ever heard of the name Wilbur, William Wilberforce? This man was a leader in the parliament in Great Britain. And as a leader, hearing the gospel proclaimed by Pastor John Newton, hearing this story, this amazing grace, this hope we have that even a wretch like me can be saved, he became wholly convicted that there was nothing more evil in the world than slavery. Nothing more heinous and oppressive. And this man considered leaving Parliament to devote his life to be a pastor, to tell others this same truth. But pastor John told him otherwise. Don't quit the job God's given you, but use this job to share this good news. And William Wilberforce went on to be the man who led the British Parliament for almost 40 years in the process of abolishing slavery. And only shortly after it was finally abolished in the entire British Empire did he pass away. He lived just long enough to see the gospel set a whole empire of people free. In this tiny church, in this tiny town of England, that prior today you've probably never heard of. As we continue in Romans, we are in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 today. Paul is writing to a divided church that is living under the oppression of a Roman empire that worships and serves a whole bunch of gods who are not the true God. And these two verses are the main thing this entire letter is about. 
This good news for you and for me. Verse 16, he says this, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul, he's writing this eager desire to be with the people who know the truth of Jesus but are still a little bit misguided believing that this truth of Jesus also comes with a set of to-dos, a way to live a certain lifestyle that you have to get just right in order to follow Jesus. Paul, he says, I am not ashamed of the Gospel. That is the good news. The good news that a man like Paul, who had hated Christians and persecuted and killed them, that he too could be saved. The good news that a man like John, who had traded slaves by the thousands, that he too could be saved. The good news that you and me and all of our mess and all of our sin, and all of our shame, and all of our guilt, and all of our regret, and all of those things we are not too proud of, we too can be saved. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, living here in the South, when we hear the word salvation, most of the time, what comes to mind, rightly or wrongly, is this moment in time where we suddenly got it all right and we realized in that moment, I am a sinner, and we prayed a certain prayer, and then all of a sudden life got perfect. Am I right? Have you been in a church that taught salvation is just an escape from hell, and so just pray this prayer and eventually things will be okay? But salvation comes from the root word salve which quite literally means an ointment to heal. An ointment to heal the broken heart that is hurt by our guilt and by our sin and by our shame and our regret. An ointment to heal the heart that is filled with all the remorse of ways we have hurt those we should have loved. An ointment to heal the heart for the one who's broken by the sins of others. The way they have hurt and oppressed and come against you. That this gospel can be both for the slave trader and the slave good news. Paul says, I am not ashamed, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First the Jew and also to the Greek. See, Paul is writing to a group of people who thought in some capacity that this good news of Jesus was only for those who were like them. And Paul says that's not at all what this is about. It's not just for you and just for those who are like you. This is for all people, even those you think are too far gone and too far outside of God's love. This is for them as well. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. What is this righteousness of God that is revealed in the good news of Jesus? 
Well, you and I don't normally walk around using the word righteousness, so let me just clarify what that word in itself even means. It means to be made holy and right, in right standing and good place. The righteousness of God is that which makes you and me in good standing and in the right place with God Himself. Where He looks and He doesn't see those who we threw overboard because they were sick or dying. He doesn't see those that we turned our backs on because they weren't like us and we weren't hurting in their same way. He doesn't see those that we have failed or sinned against. He sees instead you and me perfectly and wholly His. This righteousness of God that is being revealed through salvation is that in Jesus, by His death, by His life, by His resurrection, you and I are perfect. God looks at you and does not see all of your mess and say, what a pile of dung as Pastor John perceived of himself. What a wretch and a miserable sinner. Instead, God looks upon you and sees His Son who would perfectly give everything for you and for me that while we were sinners, He would die for us. Not once we got it all together. And Paul, as he's writing in this book of Romans, in this letter, he says, this good news of salvation, it is healing to the heart that is broken. It is healing to the heart that is heavy. And this good news is also like a hammer to the heart of stone to break all that is within us that holds us to believing we and ourselves can get it right, to being self-righteous and thinking that if only we try harder, we will be okay. No, this good news that Paul preaches is that it has nothing to do with you. Not the prayer you pray, not the life you live, not the way you fix your mistakes. No, God simply gives to you a really good gift. The gift of being without sin forever. This gift is given from faith for faith. See, it's not in believing in God with the knowledge that says, well, I've comprehended all there is to comprehend. It's not a blind ambition that says, I can just ignore anything that I may not understand. I don't need to question or seek or pursue. Faith is simply a confidence in that which we do not see, trusting in that which we cannot hold. Faith itself is a gift given from God that you and I may be made to believe. This is who God is. And it's in faith that we live out this righteousness of God each day. It's in faith that we look in the mirror and we see all of the list of our sins and all of the hurt that we cause. And instead of seeing our guilt and our shame, instead we see today this great opportunity. I am not who I used to be. Praise God. He's not done with me yet. Praise God. There is more in store for what this life has to offer because of Jesus. See, like Pastor John 1,700 years later, like Paul, you and I can be used with this Gospel to change the world. I highly doubt 
that anything I ever preach will become a song because the things I often say you should not repeat in song form. I highly doubt that we will change the world by ending slavery through the work that we do. But I believe wholeheartedly like Paul believed that this good news of Jesus changes everything. This good news of Jesus invites you to not be okay, but to be okay in Him. It invites you to come as you are and become somebody altogether new, like a slave trader who now inspires and gives hope to slaves for the very promises of God. Like a man who feels he should give everything up and instead God calls him to use that position to change the world. Wherever you are in whatever role God has placed you in, whatever people you have around you, be them influential or maybe not yet, you have an opportunity to speak this gospel to them. To show them this love that though they were a wretch and they were lost and they were blind, now they have been saved to have life. Life everlasting. Not in the future sometime later, but here and now. I wonder, as Pastor John set out to write this sermon, if he had any idea how it would change the world. I imagine instead he simply set out to say, how do I break the heart of those who are hard? How do I heal the heart of those who are broken? This is the gospel for you and me. To heal the hearts of those around us who are broken because what God has already done for you in your sin and in your mess and in all of your shame, you are forgiven forevermore. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you would move in the heart of a slave trader to preach and to write in such a way that he would inspire those who are still oppressed, that he would inspire those with authority to fight and to work to change this world for the better, to bring justice and freedom to those who are enslaved. We thank you that you would take a murderous man who hated Christians and turn him into a missionary who is not ashamed of this good news, who is willing in all things, in all places, and to all people to share what you have done. God, we thank you that you have made us in right standing, righteous, good and holy, not by our works, but by the gift of faith that we are enough in you. And we thank you, God, that this gospel is the power of salvation to those who believe, the power to bring healing to every broken heart, every wound and sorrow, every pain and suffering you will bring healing to. So we pray now for those who still live in oppression, for those who are in poverty. Pray for those who at the hands of evil men are still being traded in slavery. 
both labor slavery and sex slavery. God, we pray for those who are in every way enslaved to this day. For those who are bound in addiction and don't see your hope. God, we pray for those whom we have hurt, whom we have pushed away. May we become a source of hope, of peace, of grace and of mercy. May we become good news to those who are broken and hurting. That in us, others may see all that you have done. God, we pray for those today who are sick in our midst. For Michael as he continues to be hospitalized. God, we pray for Kylie and for Shirley that you would bring them both physical healing for their ailments. We pray comfort for Lisa at the death of her dad and for Jessica. She continues to grieve the death of her Mima. God, we pray for Nick as he seeks employment. Would you bless this endeavor that he may go wherever you lead to be a blessing to share this good news for others. And God, we pray also to today for all teachers as they gear up to go back to school. God, we pray for Sue and for Kelly, for Jessica and Lindsay, for Daniel and Amber and many more in this place who give their days in and out to serve children that they may grow in knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Give these teachers strength for this coming year. In the work that they do, may they inspire children to walk with you, even in the places where they can't speak of you directly. And God, we pray that we would be a church who knows the power of salvation, that you would take even a wretch like me, and you would make me whole again. So now we pray together as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we continue our worship now, we continue by collecting an offering. Every week we invite you to fill out a connect card with ways we can connect with you or be praying with you. You can do that physically in the pews in front of you or online at thepointknox.com, whichever you prefer. Today I would like to ask something specific though. If you are a teacher or a school administrator or are related to a teacher or a school administrator, would you fill one of those out, either physically or online, very specifically in the prayer request section, would you put the name of the teacher and the school at which they teach in? Or an administrator, the name of the administrator and the role they have at that school? Because we would like to, as a church in this coming year, spend our time praying for those who are teachers and school administrators and all the difficulty they have. So if you would like to fill one of those out, part of how we can use our time to bless others. See, offering is not just about money. It's about living more generously. 
is we can commit to praying for others each and every day. And I would love it if we as a church this year spent our time praying for and blessing teachers. So if you'll fill one of those out with that little information, I'll add you to a list I'd love to send out to say we want to pray for teachers this year. Now, in this place, we do also believe that giving generously is also including our finances. And so if you came prepared today to give and you call this place your church home, you can give with cash or check by placing it in the black box in the back as you exit. If you fill out one of those physical connect cards, you can place those in the box as well. And if you're somebody who prefers to give online and you came prepared to give today in that way, you can do so at thepointknocks.com by, by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Well, every week we invite questions. We believe questions are a really healthy part of faith. So Adam, what questions came in today? Just one question this morning. Great question. It says, what is the difference between the Nicene and the Apostles' Creed? They both say similar things. So I always tell you to ask the hard questions of him. So do you want to fill that one? No. <laughs> I won't put you on the spot like that this time. So the difference between the two, they both say very similar things. Essentially, you can look at the Apostles' Creed as like the rough draft. Here's the beginning. And the Nicene Creed is, okay, now that we have an outline, how do we build upon that and explain it a little further? So when people were questioning the relationship between God the Father and the Son, saying, how does this work? There were some people who were believing and teaching some things that were wildly not consistent with Jesus. For example, the idea that said, well, Jesus wasn't actually a human. He just looked like a human. Almost if you picture like Hindu avatars, right, where God comes in the appearance of, but not really human. And, and they were teaching this because they were concerned that if Jesus was human, that would mean God himself died on the cross. And how could that work? So with good intent, they were teaching things that weren't true. And so if you notice, the Nicene Creed spells out a little more about how God the Father and Jesus the Son both shared in the same nature and substance. They were fully one another and yet somehow distinct. So that's kind of the difference is that the one built upon the other to help uh, combat things that were not true and false. So any other questions that came in after that? Those are the only questions. And really cool that we still get to profess the same thing all these years later, right? So. Yeah, I love that we are sharing the same faith that John Newton shared and that Paul shared. And we are not this church as an individual congregation, but we are a part of the whole church, every Christian everywhere in one body. It's pretty beautiful. As a result, to celebrate being together, we'd like to be together, so there will be some hamburgers and some hot dogs and I believe some veggie burgers and whatever else was brought for the potluck-style meal here coming up in a few minutes. I would love for you to stick around, even though it's kind of muggy and humid out. We have a bounce house and some cornhole and other fun ways. Sorry, the bounce house is for kids, not for grown-ups. Maybe we'll change that in the future, okay? I know, real disappointment. You could stick around anyway and just covet the bounce house and wish you had one too, okay? Before you go, though, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, 
simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.